Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 11. Persecution did happen. Acts eleven nineteen. They were scattered to Phoenicia, middle of 19. That's modern Lebanon. They were scattered to Cyprus, a little island off the coast of Syria. Uh, Terry, you got the map there? Would you throw it up there? Let me give you a visual so you can see where we are geographically. So remember that the church started in Jerusalem all the way down to the bottom in the south. Then Caesarea is where Cornelius came to the Lord. And if you keep following it up, and you can see the missionary journeys will be traced here, you can see Syria up in the north. Antioch was the capital of Syria, and off to uh, the left in the Mediterranean Sea, it was called the Great Sea at the time, is the little island of Cyprus. That's where Barnabas came from, and that's where these people were sharing. So notice they, they made their way to Phoenicia, modern Lebanon, to Cyprus, and then they went to Antioch. And what was the church doing as they went about? They were speaking the word, but there was a group that was only speaking to Jews, to Jews alone. Some of the early church, because the church was Jewish, largely, and that's where it all started, they thought maybe the gospel is just for the Jewish people. And so they were just speaking to Jewish people, and they would pass by Gentiles and ignore them. But there were others. Notice verse 20. There were some, Acts 11.20, some of them, men from Cyprus, that's Barnabas' home, and Cyrene, that's in North Africa, remember Simon the Cyrene who carried the cross for Jesus, who came to Antioch. And began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus and telling them the news of the good news about the Lord Jesus, NIV. And the hand of the Lord was with them, 21. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Notice that the the hand of the Lord was on them as they were speaking the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel already has God's power. All you have to do is preach it. And that's the rub, isn't it? Because we go around as Americans and we are hesitant to preach good news to people. Hmm. What's the problem with that? The good news that your sins can be forgiven, that God loves you, that he sent his son into the world, that you can be a forgiven person, have new life in Christ and be going to heaven when you die. Why do we hesitate to share that news with people? Because we're intimidated. Why? They may think I'm a little weird. Right? Or they may reject the message. So what? Tell them the good news. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to witness to every single person you see. But remember a few weeks ago I said, we should be praying that God would lead us to hungry and hurting people who are ready to hear the gospel. You just don't know. Just keep the door open. Push on the door and see if someone's open to spiritual things. And if the door opens, keep going. And if it shuts, give them a gospel tract and say, well, if you ever need anything, here's where you can find me. That's the way the church did it. And they went out, and yes, persecution was happening, but they were speaking to the Greeks also, and they kept preaching the good news. And they were telling people, look, if you're empty, if you're hurting, come to Christ. Look, we've all sinned against God. We've fallen short of his glory. Come to, cl- come to Christ. And that's what they did. And they shared the gospel. And they reflected the character of Jesus because when he was on the earth, he went around. What did he do? He preached the kingdom to people. And he went around doing good. 
and he touched people and he healed them and he showed them who God was. And that's what Christians do. Now, we're not little messiahs running around the landscape. That's heresy, right? We're not little gods, nor will we ever be. God has cornered the market on deity, right? He's God, we're not. However, we can reflect Jesus Christ, and as we are clothed with him, people can see Christ in us. Story, lady comes up to me, sweet sister in the fellowship, after the second service, says, Pastor Michael, I want to tell you a story. She says, there's this area, I've been driving by there for 17 years. It's, it's an old, beat-down area off 6th Street, she says, I've seen little kids. They cross the street from this old rundown area. All kinds of evil I know is going on there. The Lord's put the area on my heart and they come to this convenience store and they buy food to get by for the day. And they use the little cards that they get because they're, on, uh, they're getting government assistance. So they use the machine for government assistance. So she said, I was gonna get gas recently and uh, there's a gas station I normally go to and the Lord impressed on my, upon my heart, no, go to the gas station down in this area. So she said, okay, Lord. So she said, praise the Lord. It was 40 cents cheaper for gas. That was the first <laughs> blessing. So she puts gas in her car. Nobody else is there. Goes in and sees all these items on the counter in front of the worker. He's a, obviously a man from India. So she says, well, what is all this? And he had a honey bun up there, and he had, he had a, you know, one of those power drinks up there and whatever, other ding-dongs, whatever was up there. A breakfast of champions, no doubt. And so she, she began to say, boy, all this stuff you have, but what, what's the deal? And he said, well, normally the kids from across the street, they come and they, a group of them comes and they swipe their card and they buy this stuff so we keep it out for them. And it kind of just keeps them going. But he said the, the satellite's been down so they haven't been able to come over and use the card. So the implication was the kids are hungry. And she said, look, I'm here to get gas but I want to tell you something. Here's some extra money and if those kids come back from over there, do you know those kids? And he says, yes, I do, ma'am. She says, when they come back, here's the money, please give them the food. And he said, Indian man, why would you do that? He said, do you know them? She says, no, I don't know them, but I know him. And, he, he, and listen to this. The worker at the convenience store said, I've heard about you people. <laughs> Get this. You're a Christian, aren't you? And she said, yes, I am. And she said, uh, I go to this church over here. And do you, if you ever want to come by, and he said, I'd like to know more about why you do these things and why people in your group do these things. Isn't that awesome? Apparently, the name Christian is still alive and well and impacting people. Praise God. And so the church was out there and they were preaching the good news and they were living the good news and the news about what happened in Antioch reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And so they sent off, Acts 11.22, they sent off Barnabas, Barnabas off to Antioch. Now this says a lot about how the Jerusalem church must have felt. Because of all the people they could have sent to Antioch, and I'll describe Antioch for you in a second, which was a very dark pagan place, they sent the guy William Barclay calls with the biggest heart in the church. His name was Barnabas. They didn't send an investigative committee. You know what, I wonder if they really got their doctrine all worked out. Is anybody here eating pork? Hey, you're not keeping the food laws. Line up, we're gonna circumcise the whole group of you. None of that, all right? They sent Barnabas. And Barnabas, they knew, would go, <laughs> yeah, the circumcision thing got you, didn't it? Uh, 
my son said he was in a class and the professor was teaching on Galatians, which is all about the Judaizers and the whole circumcision heresy that they wanted to force people to become Jews before they could become Christians. And so he taught a little bit on the subject of circumcision and he said, now we're going to show a short video and the screen started to come down and everybody in the class was like, ah! And he said, just kidding, folks. I'm, anyway. That's Bible college. You got to, anyway, so. So a little nine-year-old boy got tired of practicing the piano. And his mother heard the great Paderewski was coming into town to do a concert. So she bought two tickets, one for herself and one for her boy. She dragged him along, sat him down, uh, bought him a little tuxedo, put him in the front row, and she began to visit with her friends. He looked up at the platform, the little nine-year-old boy, and there was a giant ebony black Steinway concert grand piano. The lid on the keyboard was lifted and the leather bench was there. He looked at the piano, popped his knuckles a couple times and said to himself, oh man, I'd really like to play that piano. So he slipped down the aisle, walked across the front, up the steps, sat down and started playing chopsticks on the piano. Well, the people down front said, who, who is that? Quit it. Where's his mother? All those things that people would say. Hey, kids, stop. Of course, she was embarrassed beyond words, and everybody's looking around. Well, the great Paderewski, who was back fixing his tie, heard what was, what was going on. So without the boy seeing him, he slipped out on the stage and came in behind the little boy. He reached around and improvised a beautiful melody to go with chopsticks. And then he said to the boy, keep playing, don't quit, don't stop. And I think that's why Barnabas was sent to Antioch. Because they wanted a guy, you know, it was Barnabas who had to convince the apostles that Saul was for real. Can you imagine the chief persecutor of the church? Uh, He says he's become a Christian. Is this the real deal? And it was Barnabas who had the eyes of God and said, yes, he's saved. Let's accept him in. I'm going to keep one eye open if I'm praying with Saul, right? Took a while. But it was Barnabas with a big heart that made the difference in the life of Saul and many others. And so the early church made a statement by who they sent to Antioch. What was Antioch like? Antioch was named after a man named Antiochus. It became the launching point for the church. And if you know anything about history, you know something about a name Antiochus. Now Antiochus I had a line of succession. He was one of four generals that took over in history for Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great conquered the known world, died at 33, and his kingdom was split into four. Some went south, some went north, and a dynasty was started in the north called the Seleucid dynasty. So eventually, the leader of the the Seleucid dynasty was Antiochus Epiphanes. Think of the name Antioch. So Antiochus Epiphanes said he was the manifestation of God, but people who knew him called him the madman, Antiochus the madman. So he went down to Egypt and he had started a war with them and this is about 168 BC. He made his way down south from Syria, down below Jerusalem and he decided, I'm going to finish what I started in Egypt. Well, Rome was starting to rise at this time and the Roman Senate had sent a general and they confronted Antiochus on his way down to Egypt and they said, you're not going to go there. They said, if you go down to Egypt, you will fight us first. 
Antiochus had a moment of decision. He turned around and he started going back north. But before he went back to Syria, guess where he stopped? In Jerusalem. And there, history tells us, he killed at least 80,000 Jewish people. He went into Jerusalem and tried to, I guess, cut his losses on the trip. He brought an image of Zeus, the Greek god, into the Holy of Holies, sacrificed a pig on the altar, and told any Jewish person that had a scroll in their hands, a Bible, that if you're caught with a Bible, you're dead. People fled to the mountains. Antiochus is a precursor of the future Antichrist. You know how he was dealt with? There was a revolt that happened called the Maccabean Revolt. This is when First and Second Maccabees were written. And it was led by guerrilla warfare. And there were some people who rose up at this time and they took on Antiochus and through guerrilla warfare, these brave Jewish men who were few in number but had rose up, consistently fought against them and finally they got the Syrians out of Jerusalem. And they put some oil in the menorah in the temple and it was supposed to last about a day and it actually lasted about eight days and it became known as the holiday called Hanukkah. That's what happened in the history of Israel. And it's been said by scholars that every time someone tried to get rid of Israel, they have another holiday. (laughs) The Pharaoh tried to destroy them and they have Passover, right? Haman tried to destroy them and they have Purim. And the Syrian madman Antiochus Epiphanes tried to destroy them and they have Hanukkah. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So right in this area of the world, half a million people lived in Antioch. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, following only Rome and Alexandria. It was the capital city of the Roman province of Syria since they dominated so much of the world. The main street was more than four miles long, paved with marble, lined with marble colonnades on both sides. Get this. It was the only city in the ancient world that at this time had its streets lighted at night. It was the first city known for its nightlife. It had had light so you could continue your party. Many wealthy retired people lived in the city. There were Roman baths, gambling on chariot races. The city was full of wickedness, including a shrine that was dedicated to the Greek goddess Daphne, who had been seduced in Greek mythology by the god Apollo, and whose worship included immoral practices. The shrine of Daphne was located five miles outside the town in a laurel grove. Apollo's famous pursuit of Daphne there was reenacted day and night in the city by the men of the city and by priestesses who were, in fact, ritual prostitutes. It reminds you of Bourbon Street in New Orleans but maybe even worse. People would go there, they would reenact this Greek mythology, but they would reenact it literally. There was all kinds of base immorality going on. And where does God decide that people will first be called Christians? At Antioch. A very dark, dark place. As a matter of fact, the morals of Daphne was Greek slang for people who were involved in loose living or people who were immoral. One Roman writer of the time, Juvenal, said, the wickedness of Antioch has flooded into other regions in our kingdom. It became a melting pot for five cultures and the Jews made up about one-seventh of the population. There were Greeks, Romans, 
Jews, Arabs, and Persians all in this area. So it became somewhat of a melting pot, but because it was so wicked, it was just known for this darkness. I mentioned to you guys that my son is in York, England, and he, he found some real spiritual warfare there. And he said people just go to the pubs. They don't know anything about the Bible. He said it's dark. And then they went down south in between London and York to a place called Kingsland. And he said, Dad, it was 10 times worse there. He said it made York seem like kindergarten because in Kingsland, it's so dark that if you try to share on the streets, you'll probably get beat up. That's how dark it is. Now that's in a place where we had great revivals, great cathedrals, great preachers, great churches, and now the churches are largely empty or they are filled with cultural Christians, but the power is gone. And many people who look at Europe say, the United States is following in their track. Wow. Now the church went into regions like this and they said, you know what? There's hope for everybody. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Look, we've all been saved from, you know, backgrounds that aren't so pretty. But the church went there and they sent Barnabas, the proven encourager, the reconciler. And when he had come, 23 Acts 11, and witnessed the grace of God, what did he do? He rejoiced. And he began to encourage them. And I think this is a play on his name because his name means son of encouragement. He began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. When he arrived NIV and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Isn't that great? I mean, think of all the things that Barnabas could have picked apart. Oh boy, do we have problems now. Are these people really saved? I mean, look at the town they live in. Imagine how many Bible studies I'm going to have to share now and try to disciple these people. Who knows? Could he have picked all the negative things? All the, the things on the negative side of the ledger? Do you do that? Do I do that? Instead of rejoicing for what it was, that the grace of God had been evidenced and on display, he didn't go in there and say, oh no, here we go. Let's try to figure out what... No, he rejoiced. He saw the evidence of the grace of God. Look, everyone, every Christian could buy a t-shirt which would read safely, we are under construction. Imagine how many people who had just can't come out of paganism tempted to go back to the reenactments of Apollo and Daphne he had to deal with. Imagine how many Bible studies, how much he had to say, no, that's not right. This is what the Lord would have you to do. Lots of work to be done. But he rejoiced because people were coming into the kingdom. People of all different backgrounds. And that's what we need to do. We need to open our arm for people and not say, oh, because you, do you forget where you were 10 or 20 years ago? Had you arrived as a believer five years ago? For some of you, six months ago, right? And then once we got the Christian thing down, we can start looking down our noses at other people. Oh, man, I don't think so, bro. You know, look, look, that's... That stuff on the externals is not the Lord. You start with the inside, the outside will follow. You try to clean up the outside before the inside's dealt with, you're going to have a bunch of wandering believers who have no home because they haven't been accepted. And so the encourager comes, and it's a great thing, man. He, he tells them, look, I want you to keep going. I want you to remain true to the Lord. We started a ministry 
a couple years back. Many of you were there. We went to Corona High School. We had a big church service with a bunch of churches in Corona. And the Lord had given me a passion and a vision to say to the church, and it was evangelistic too, but it was largely a service for the church. And multiple churches came together and we called it, remember, Remain True. What we were trying to say to the church is let's be unified We may disagree on peripheral doctrines, but let's not compromise the gospel, who God is, how you get saved, and what we're supposed to be doing as a church. And we had over 2,000 people out there. And I think it made a statement, not only to the church, but to our community, that, you know what, we need to come together and stay resolute in the Lord. Now look at the description of Barnabas. For he, Barnabas, was a good man. Can I pause there and say something to you men? I know a lot of you personally, and a lot of you are good men. You are good men. Sometimes when someone says you're a good man, we get real spiritual. And we say, oh, don't call me good. The Bible says there's nobody good but one. Right? And we do this, we do a redirect, and it sounds good, and it's right, and I'm sure we have good reasons But the Bible calls Barnabas a good man. And you, my brother, you may doubt yourself, but you can be a good man. What does it take to be a good man? Well, look at the verse. He was a good man, and it's it's pretty simple, because he was full of God. What makes a good man? God does. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Now, if you think about Barnabas' life, in Acts chapter 4, we also saw he was a generous man. And uh, later in Paul's life, we saw he saw the best in people. He had a big heart. He saw the best of what a person could be, maybe not what they used to be or where they were stuck. He was full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, generous, and had a big heart and saw people through God's eyes. You want to be a good man? You want to be a good woman? That's how you do it. You ask God to take over. You ask him to guide you and direct you that you can be his hands and his feet in the world. And so all these people, considerable numbers have come to the Lord. Notice end of 24. And so what did Barnabas do? He was also a wise man. He went and got some help. And he left for Tarsus to look for who? To look for Saul? How long has it been since Barnabas has not seen Saul? About eight years. Maybe eight to ten years. And where's Saul been this whole time who will become Paul? Well, he went back to his hometown of Tarsus because people were trying to kill him when he was in Jerusalem. So the church said, you better go back home. What do you think Saul was doing during the eight to ten years? I think he was preaching. I think he was teaching people. He probably already had a few bruises. Right? He was a seasoned believer. He got revelation of the gospel. And if there was anybody who would teach a new crop of Gentile believers about the ways of God, it was Saul. Because Barnabas knew in Acts 9 that Jesus had called Saul to be the apostle to who? The Gentiles. And so Barnabas looked around and said, I'm going to have to teach 15 Bible studies a week if this goes on like this. Hold on, time out. And off he went to Tarsus to find Saul. What a wise man. He needed help. And, and Paul and Barnabas, look at verse 30. It says, uh, an offering was given the, to the charge of Barnabas and Saul. But here's another beauty about Barnabas' life and ministry. 
for the rest of the book of Acts, to my knowledge, it will not be Barnabas and Saul. It will be Paul and Barnabas. Here's another thing about this man. He knew when to take a back seat to somebody else who might have a gifting in that area. He went and got Saul because he knew there's probably nobody better to teach doctrine to these people, nobody better to get in the trenches with these people. So he went and got the apostle whose call it was to the Gentiles. And could you imagine how excited Paul must have been? Cool, there's how many new believers over there? All right, let's go. And they became a dynamic duo. And in church leadership and in friendships where you may be working with a Christian in a company, come together. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. And a lot of people, Oscar, who watch so-called Christianity on some platforms... They get a little bit of embittered because it looks like it's all about what's in it for that person. And when you watch someone not doing it for health, this put them at stake. Uh, their very lives are on the line. Somebody not doing it for wealth, but somebody just doing it for the sake of other people hearing about the living God. I, I think that is a testimony in and of itself, and that's the part of the power that's here. Now, here we have Barnabas who comes into the scene. He was sent from the church, from Jerusalem. He goes into Antioch, and he bears witness of the works of the Holy Spirit and all the things that are occurring. And I appreciate another thing here that's also spoken of by Philip and also by Cornelius the Centurion, who said that he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So as I'm sure God was leading him, he wasn't arguing, are you sure that's where you want me to go? As Peter had previously done. But here he is witnessing and also being put to work by the Lord. And we see how many believers are coming and increasing in numbers in faith because of who he is and his, and his um, devotion to God. And the Lord led him to track down Saul of Tarsus. And he became, you know, Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. He goes and tracks down Saul and he becomes the one who introduces Saul to the church. And he's the one, the son of encouragement, who convinces other believers that Saul's the real McCoy, that he's genuine. And so what a, what a fantastic uh, ministry that Barnabas had. He was an encourager. He saw the best in people and would to God that we'd have those same kind of eyes. And, you know, our, in our generation where we can become, you know, we, we can look at people and become disappointed and uh, maybe a little bit... Um, uh, Maybe we don't always see the best in people, Oscar. Maybe we look at people and, and we can think the worst. But that's not how Barnabas was wired. And so he became a, a spokesman. He found Saul, introduced him to the church. And it was Barnabas who told the church to remain true to the Lord. Acts 11.23 at the end of the verse. And I think this is a great encouragement to us uh, with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord despite what may be going on in the world. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. 
You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.